on ex-husbands, ice castles, and the definition of circumstances. M.N. August 11th, 2022. Shekhar always used to call his friends during his commute. Now I'm one of the friends he calls. We started speaking again a couple of years ago. By then he was engaged to be married, I think, or about to propose. His wife's name is Lorelai, just like mine. She's pregnant now, due in a few months. I got pretty emotional when he told me his wife was pregnant, still quite early into the first trimester. Once upon a time, we had been quite certain that I would have his babies. Beautiful babies with his chocolate skin and huge, contagious smile. We had assumed it was a natural next step. Except, that step never happened, and one year rolled into the next, and then eventually our marriage ended. Today, I ask him if his wife knows he is calling me, if she minds. I've already asked, but I want to make sure. He insists she knows, and she's fine. Of course, she says that she probably wouldn't call you if she were me, given the circumstances, he adds. But she's fine with me talking to you if that's my decision. What circumstances are those exactly, I ask, bracing myself for his answer. <coughs> you know, he says, and I can feel him squirming on the other end of the phone. Our history. Our history. I wondered which part of our history, although of course I already knew the answer. It wouldn't be the part of our history where he spent literally years talking about his dream of getting a, his degree, but stopping short of actually doing it at every opportunity. How I coaxed, cajoled, practically carried him, first toward his prerequisites, then into the school of his choosing. How I sat by his side late that one night as the clock steadily ticked toward midnight and the submission deadline. Him still procrastinating, answers only half done, even though he'd had months to complete the application. He was scared, so he waited, because not doing it was easier than trying and failing. Our history? You mean how I supported him emotionally and financially, him commuting to university, me commuting to work? How he would routinely wake me up at 4.45 a.m. because he just remembered he hadn't printed out the paper that was due that morning? How even though the printer was in the living room, here he was with all the lights on in our bedroom, smashing his way through the house as I tried to go back to sleep so I would be awake enough to get through my own day? That history? School is challenging, don't get me wrong. Believe me, I've been there, and I don't fault him for working hard. But he was disorganized and overcommitted to the point of insanity. His desire to please made him into the world's nicest guy to everybody except the people closest to him. He would say yes to anything for anyone except maybe himself. Unfortunately, there were only 24 hours in a day. When he was finally diagnosed with adult ADHD through our couple's counselor, I was not in the least bit surprised. I said as much. He was offended. I loved him, I did, but mothering your husband is not sexy. I once had to literally sit him down and show him, vis-a-vis -a, -vis a detailed calendar, that he had forgotten to make time for eating and sleeping. Finally done pleasing the rest of the world, forgetting to care for his own most basic needs, he would come home to collapse. He would be grumpy, tired, and impatient. He would also routinely fall ill, which would require more mothering. Suffice it to say, that sort of thing kind of kills the spark. We had spark, too. His kisses were delicious. I melted into his lips like butter on toast, and at the beginning we spent hours kissing. By the time I left him, we had been a couple for almost a decade, and we had fewer kisses to show for it, but every now and then one would take us by surprise, and it was magical. 
He got me out of my sexual shell. I know you'll be sh shocked, but I did have one. I was scared of sex, scared of my body. I blame it on being raised in the opposite of a sexually repressed household. My house was too sex positive. I liked boys, but I had far too graphic of an understanding about sexual relations to actually want them. I spent my awkward teenage years lusting after boys, but terrified of sex. Shekhar got me into adult stores. I was mortified the first time I went in one, mad at him for dragging me there, but also somewhat intrigued. That's where we bought my first vibrator, an ugly pink contraption that I was too embarrassed to use. Slowly but surely, we began to enjoy sex together. We tried new things. We had fun times, Shekhar and me, and we thought we had the same goals and aspirations. But we were an overextended couple in our early 20s with far too many obligations to work, friends, and family. He filled every spare minute by overcommitting himself and then feeling guilty when he couldn't meet his 10 trillion obligations. I wasn't much better myself, although I did remember to sleep when he wasn't waking me up all the time. The thing is, we didn't know ourselves well enough. We talked, but we weren't actually communicating. I was too scared to say, I need you to spend less time pleasing the rest of the world. He was too scared to say, you make me feel like a failure. So instead, we engaged in a dance, the dance of trying not to mind, the dance of focusing on the positive, the one where you dance on eggshells going up, up, up on your tiptoes, so high that you finally stumble and come crashing down, breaking a toe or an ankle or the whole goddamn leg. Then the unkind words come tumbling out, one after another, and you are yelling at each other, or you are ignoring each other. You are like little children, you and your husband. There are only so many times you can have passive-aggressive arguments because you are both reading far too much into what your partner isn't saying. There are only so many icy nights you can spend besides your nicest guy in the world husband when he is clearly mad but won't say why, his body rigid beside you, and you could swear the bed was North Pole. You can only stay there for so long before you finally decide you've had enough. You can't take the frozen silence anymore, and you head outside. Where the fuck are you going, he calls, because in his anger, my normally meek and docile husband has found the ability to swear, something I can do without any trouble at all. And now he's yelling at you to come back as you head outside to the grass. You lie on a blanket and look at the stars, and it is a relief not to feel him anymore, seething beside you over some unknown misstep. Why should you go back if he's just going to retreat into his ice castle? He keeps yelling from the porch. Apparently it was fine to be quiet when I was beside him, but now suddenly he has found words. Angry and coherent words, but words. Men and their fucking words. Mommy says I shouldn't lump all men into one basket, and I suppose she's right. But I've never met a man that I could communicate with. The fault is mine too, though. I want to impress them, these men. I want them to like me. I don't consider my desires important enough. So I primp and I censor and I don't say what I need until it all comes spilling out. The truth is that being honest is hard. Communicating is hard. And we often don't know what the fuck we're doing. We're certainly not taught to recognize and communicate our desires and boundaries in a positive way. We're taught to wear lip gloss, flirt, woo men in for a happily ever after that nobody seems to find but everyone keeps trying for. The only thing we didn't fight about was our open relationship, probably because we did such a good job of being honest and establishing boundaries and a mechanism for communication right from the beginning. We talked about our open relationship a lot, and we learned a lot, too, together. When you have multiple partners, you're forced to learn about yourself. 
One book I read, more than two, calls this phenomenon AFOG, another fucking opportunity for growth. In your different relationships, you notice different pieces of yourself emerging and learn more about yourself that way. You also see patterns. You arrive at a crossroads when, for example, the same problem comes up three different times, one for each relationship. You can't keep blaming your partners because at that point, the common denominator is you. We learned a lot through our open relationship, and we communicated in a healthy way about it, honest about our fears, jealousies, and desires. We worked toward the greater good of each of us. us. The trouble was, we needed all that in the rest of our relationship. Things started to improve in couples counseling. Our therapist taught us some things that seem so simple now, but at the time I found them to be groundbreaking. Know thyself. A question is a statement in disguise. Behind anger, there's almost always a deeper emotion, like fear. Say what you mean. Expect that your partner will say what they mean. Pay attention. Were you not completely transparent when you communicated? Are you now uncomfortable because by taking you at face value, your partner has essentially called your bluff? Well, then it's up to you to figure out how to be more honest. It's certainly not up to your partner to figure out how to read your mind. Recognize when you are making assumptions and then stop. You can have a very real, legitimate, emotional reaction to something somebody says or does, but that doesn't mean that their intention was to make you feel that way. In other words, your feelings are always valid, but the assumptions you make about other people's actions and words may not be. Sometimes all somebody needs is acknowledgement of what they have said or how they feel. Don't try to argue away someone's feelings. Hold space for them. Trust your partner's love for you. We were good students. We did our homework. We practiced talking about our own feelings and acknowledging each other. We practiced trusting each other. But none of it was enough to save a marriage that wasn't working. You mean the part of our history where I left you and moved to Montreal to be with Gavin, I ask now, even though the answer is obvious? Yes, he murmurs. Well, I say, she's only heard whatever circumstances you've actually told her about, you know. That's true, he says. You know, when I met her, I was still processing. I was in shock, looking for answers, kind of mad. I know, I say, and then add, perhaps a bit snarkily, you sought those answers by going to every single one of my friends and family, including my own sister, and including my best friend's husband, who now won't speak to me. I stop, a bit chagrined that I had allowed the outburst to occur. I'm sorry, he says, and I know he means it. But still, he had dozens of friends. Everybody loved him. He was not lacking in shoulders to cry on. Couldn't he have chosen someone else to pour his heart out to? Shekhar was always quick to apologize. He apologized for things that weren't even his fault. He apologized so much the apology started to lose its value. Gavin, on the other hand, never apologized. He was so much the opposite of Shekhar that I made the mistake of thinking, well, if one extreme didn't work, the other one should. But no, Gavin's ice castle was actually icier than Shekhar's. Turns out there's such a thing as nuance, and problems can manifest in all sorts of ways. I knew when I decided to leave Shekhar that nothing was guaranteed. I understood that Gavin and I might not work out, so I asked myself if I would regret leaving, even if I ended up alone. The answer was no. I would not regret it. I felt only relief when I left him. Relief to be my own person again. Relief to make decisions for myself. Relief to pursue adventure however I wanted to. I didn't want to be with Shekhar anymore, and now that I knew that, I couldn't stay. If anything, it would be unfair to him. Better to break up now while we were both still young than to stay in a marriage I didn't want and lead him on. 
This would be better for him anyway, I reasoned. Who wants to stay in a marriage as somebody who has realized that they don't want it anymore? It would be unfair to him if I stayed. He did not agree. He begged, cajoled, cried, yelled, and threatened. He pleaded, we can figure something out. We'll come out as Polly to our families. You can stay with Gavin half the year and stay with me the other half. I don't have to be your primary partner anymore. The trouble was, I no longer wanted him to be my partner, period. So I let myself become the bitch of the story, the bitch who left her husband for another man, even though we had been honest with each other the t entire time, even though he was practically the one who had introduced me to Gavin. I felt a guilt so crushing it practically broke me, so I just quietly accepted that Shekhar would be the one to get our friends. He could tell them whatever version of the breakup that he wanted to. Meanwhile, I paid for him to live in our apartment alone for another four months and gave him the nice new car I had never wanted but helped pay off. He got to be the victim, and I became the bitch who left him. I talked to Dejuan, he tells me the next time he calls. Dejuan, Juliet's husband, my best friend since we were in diapers. I knew he might call him. He'd said that he would, which I appreciated. Now, though, I realize it really doesn't matter. I told him that you and I are friends now, he continues, that he doesn't need to hold a grudge for me that I'm not holding anymore, that I don't actually see our breakup the same way anymore. I was in distress at the time. He and Dejuan weren't actually friends. They never spent one-on-one -on -one time until Shekhar, in his desperation at our breakup, called him up and they went to a bar, broing it out. After that, apparently Dejuan decided not to speak to me, but nobody informed me of this. I only found out when I showed up at their home and he wouldn't return my greeting. Their home. Where Juliet's and my adventures often began. A weekend trip to the Midwest, our bachelorette parties, her baby shower, weddings, more showers, maids of honor. Their home where I held Damaray, her baby, for the first time. How would you like to be the baby's godmother, she had asked. It would be an honor, I'd replied. I went to Damaray's christening a couple months after Shekhar's and my breakup. I received a rushed explanation about why somebody else had been named his godmother. I pretended not to care. Juliet had another baby this year, a miracle baby that she birthed at no small physical expense. I didn't receive the birth announcement. Thanks, I say now to Shekhar. I do appreciate it. And I do appreciate it. But I also know his conversation with Dejuan won't really do anything. For whatever reason, my actions in my marriage, or whatever his perception of those actions is, touched a nerve for Juliet's husband. I've become symbolic of infidelity, not to be trusted. Oh well. Shekhar got hurt when we broke up, and so did I. We both caused each other harm, mostly not on purpose. I suppose that's the nature of breakups. We say our goodbyes now and hang up. Shekhar goes back to his life, and I go back to mine. The ice castles are gone, and we can just be friends.